Today's episode is with Natalie Brenner. She's the author of the new book, This Undeserved Life, Uncovering the Gifts of Grief and the Fullness of Life. She is such a fun person from a starting point. She has two kids who are five months apart. (laughs) So she's also a very busy little mom. So enjoy this episode with Natalie Brenner. We talk about grief, about miscarriage and loss, and it really is a very heartwarming little conversation. So I hope you guys enjoy the show. Welcome to the same 24 hours podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day, and it's what we do with those hours that makes all the difference between our health, happiness, and success. Welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours Podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. Today's guest is Natalie Brenner. Hi, Natalie. Hi, Meredith. How are you? Oh, you know, I'm doing good. How are you? (laughs) Despite our uh, (laughs) technical difficulties, sometimes two very smart women just can't work Skype. (laughs) seriously Skype is my nemesis it really is it really is when I started recording podcast I was like is this the only way that's all we can do and I know there's other ways but man but now I've got it humming so why change right (laughs) no seriously change is so hard (laughs) well let's talk about you you are the author of the new book this undeserved life uncovering the gifts of grief and the fullness of life and I met you in September and I totally walked up to you accosted you and was like we should be friends (laughs) I love it I'm always thankful for that yeah I love it. It's always better when you're not the most awkward one in the room, right? You're like, oh, she's way more awkward. No, I think it's the opposite. I'm always like walking around like, ah, I don't know how to be a person. <laughs> so it was perfect. It was perfect. Awesome. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about your story and what this book is about and, and what message you are conveying. Like, what is Natalie Brenner all about? It's a big question. Well, that is a big question. Besides being cute and wearing adorable glasses. Other than ah! that. Other than that. <laughs> hey, you you know, is any optical? I'm just saying, put a plug in there. They've got some good glasses. Um, yeah, so, I mean, this book is all about, I mean, going past, it's about grief, but it's really about finding the space to be honest. And I'm just really into being honest because I think, you know, a lot of times it's not, like super popular or cute to be honest because sometimes our honesty feels ugly and like when we're angry or when we're sad or you know like it's not it's not very popular right no one wants to hear it but then at the same time like you think people don't want to hear the hard stuff the honest stuff but at the end of the day that's exactly what people want to hear and that's where connection is made exactly I always say vulnerability is I mean, exactly where connection is made. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. it's just this weird, or I mean, you would agree, I'm sure our society is so weird and layered and like we walk around just with a front most of the time, I'd say most of us do. And, but when we're able to sit down and like realize, oh, it's safe to be vulnerable or it's safe to be honest, then that's where like real connection happens and that's where freedom happens. And I just want to fight for more of that for us because there's not enough of it. Right. 
So how did you come to this conclusion that honesty is what you needed to talk about and write about? Like what, what is the story that sort of led to that? Yeah. Um, well, I grew up in a, I'm a Christian. I like Jesus, which right now you is do Christmas. Anyway, You're Christmas. I do. I do Christmas. I also do Santa though. So okay. Ah! No, that's okay. do you do an elf though? That is the main question. Medical. Do I do what? The elf, the elf on the shelf. The elf on the shelf. Absolutely. I do oh, elf on the shelf. Gosh, I really like, thought we would get away with not having to do pickles, the elf this year, but it's not there. We're still doing it. <laughs> We're just starting. We've just begun. Oh. No, I'm like nine years weary. <laughs> yeah, we're still in the larva honeymoon stage. So. <laughs> what is your um, elf name? Well, okay, awkward. We haven't named our elf yet. We need boys who can talk. I oh, don't that's know. right. You have to let them name it. That's how we got Pickles. Yeah, Pickles is cute, except I hate Pickles. So. <laughs> Well, I do too. Anyway. The elf, not so, the food. Yeah, pickles are a little that. We cannot be I'm friends. Sorry. I changed my mind. I'm sorry. Okay. All right. So anyway, you, you like okay. Christmas. You like Santa. You love Jesus. Got yeah. it. I, yes, all those things. Um, and so I just kind of grew up kind of with this mindset and this mentality that if, uh, like, if you're wrecked by something, if you're sad, like, if you're not responding to tra your tragedy in your life, like something big tragic happens, if you're not responding like publicly and constantly with like, I'm fine, God's in control and like put a smile on your face, then like that means you don't have faith or your faith is not big enough or you don't trust God all the way. And so after college and into uh, marriage, we had um, a series of, I mean, minor in, uh, significant losses. And I started wrestling with that, with that idea of, we were pastors at a church and I started wrestling with that idea of, can I be sad? Can I even be wrecked by loss and grief and, and sorrow? Can I be depressed? And can I still trust Jesus? Like, is there room to co coexist with sorrow and trusting Jesus? Right. And so that kind of took me on that journey and through different losses, um, which I talk about in the book and I just kind of take the reader on the journey with me. And so through that, I really discovered, and I'm so confident that Jesus and God are, are big enough. Like the world is big enough to handle our honesty and our grief and our, all of our honesty, right? Like even like the crying, banging the car dashboard, like screaming because you're so mad that you miscarried this baby that you wanted for so long, right? Like, like he can handle that honesty, the most raw kind. So that's kind of what took me. And so being honest then gave me kind of the avenue and the, yeah, like the avenue to find healing because I was able to just give space to those losses and those, those pains and, it just created a lot of grace to just be broken and to be okay with not being okay. So when you say being honest, did that start with being honest to yourself? I mean, was it telling a friend? How did the honesty progression sort of That's happen? Good. It really started with being honest with myself because even though we, um, 
don't often feel safe in front of others at church at wherever being completely honest like oh actually I'm really like frustrated at my circumstances right now and they suck we like to be like oh we're fine we'll make it but like if we're really frustrated it's hard to be honest and so that started with me they actually started with my parents they remarried they got divorced the day before my wedding and then they remarried within a few weeks of each other um and my mom wait wait, 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 and wait. I, so they got divorced <laughs> the day before your wedding and then got remarried in a few weeks Oh, no, remarried to other people. Oh, okay. So, sorry, 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 sorry. So, yes, day before my wedding. Married to other people within a few weeks. Of of each other, not of their divorce. So, there's like a... Okay, (laughs) Sorry, sorry. I'm just like, wow, that's a lot. Okay. Right, right. So, a couple years, like two years or so passed. Like a year and a half passed, and then they both got married, like, in the same amount of time. Like, one got married in April. Not that I'm judging either way. It just was shocking. I was like, that's a lot to handle. Okay, go moving on. And so it was just a lot because my mom married someone she had met like, well, we had met three weeks prior and she had met just a few months prior. And then my dad married someone I had known my whole life. And so it was just this like a lot to process. And I was like, I'm not sure I'm okay with this. And is there permission to like not be okay with this and process that or do I have to suck it up and just be happy for them because that was kind of our co-pastors um, pressure on me was you need to just celebrate and be happy for them they found someone and so I was that really started that journey of can I even be honest with myself and like in my journal and before God and say I'm not okay, I'm not okay with this like this is a lot to process and like, I don't know these people. Well, I know one person too well, and I know the other person. <laughs> oh, and they're supposed to be my children's grandparents? Like, I, you know, so that was the beginning of um, unlocking being honest before myself. And and then it's scary, you know, to find someone safe enough to be honest with them. There, there is a lot of pressure to, you know, be strong, which... I think being strong is being vulnerable, but it's oftentimes looked at the opposite. And so, yeah, definitely start to being, being able to be honest with yourself in the quiet and like sit, sit in the stillness and like process things, you know? Right. And you, you mentioned journaling. That's a big theme. A lot yeah, of people I, need yeah. to get it out of their head and onto paper. Yeah, it's huge. Even if you're not a writer, I think it's so helpful to process. Even if it's not handwrite journaling, even just typing into a Word document, just like word vomiting, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I realized for so long, like, that was why I started blogging back 100 years ago. <laughs> it seems like now it's like 10, 12 years, 13. But, yeah, I used to just use it as a journal that people have yeah. had to endure <laughs> to read. Now, I mean, blogging's different now. As you know, I mean, it depends on your purpose or whatever, but yeah, it was really helpful to get it all out, you know, one way. And then I realized a few years back that I really couldn't use my blog as my journal and I had to to take another outlet um, as it got a little bit bigger. But yeah, there's so much value in just free flowing and writing and sometimes it's really surprising how you do feel like when you say being honest with yourself, when you start writing, it's kind of surprising what resentments you find or what anger (laughs) bumbles up, bubble bumbles, bubbles up, but in a good way, it allows (laughs) you to kind of recognize, Hey, maybe I'm acting out or doing this, that, and the other, because I feel this way. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the grief process. And you mentioned um, miscarriage. And that is something that I, I have not personally endured, but I have so, so many friends who have. And one of the things that I've noticed lately is how women are starting to speak out and, you know, saying I've been through this and it's really quite a community. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Um, so I was always told growing up, like since the age of 12, that I would have a hard time conceiving. And then if I did conceive, there's a really high chance of miscarriage. And so I always knew that it was possible. My mom had a miscarriage. Um, but that, I mean, we didn't talk about it much. She mentioned it here and there, but it wasn't like we talked about it, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I knew it was hard on her, but I didn't, I didn't know what that meant. And so I knew miscarriage existed and I knew it was possible, but never could I have prepared myself for how much it would actually wreck and undo me. Um, especially it was an early miscarriage and we love to gauge loss and trauma and tragedy. And people always ask how far along you are when you've miscarried and, and it's their way of gauging, you know, like, Oh, like not that far. So must not have been that bad, you know? And so that was something, another piece that I was like, Oh, like we actually can't quantify and compare losses. We can't gauge loss. And so after we, we'd been trying for, I don't remember, like two years, I think, and using some Clomid, which is a fertility enhancement drug. And um, when I got pregnant, you know, was very excited. We had already started the adoption process, but we stopped it after I miscarried just to grieve a little bit, but um, a lot. Anyway, so once I miscarried, there was not a lot of people around me in my in my real life, um, physical community who had miscarried. There were a couple of women who had since had like four children, living children. And so they were definitely supportive and they rallied around me, but I felt like I needed someone who knew that, you know, like right now, like the depths of grief. And so I then found people online who had, who were walking through miscarriage at the same time or just recently. And, Man, there's definitely this like weird stigma, especially it gets it gets very tricky and sticky when we don't like society at large, I would say doesn't often see babies in the womb until a certain point as humans. And so that is also sticky and and makes it invalid when you have an early miscarriage of what wasn't even a human. And so that's like a layer that I had to process that a lot of people don't even like um, view this baby was made as a human. And so it was nice to find people who had walked through it and, and yeah, I mean, really like I believe that community is, so into like so important when we're grieving and when we need people who understand and like right. really understand and not to like open up wounds or anything but i like oh. that this podcast is a way to kind of educate people and uh, yeah. you know, I, had, they, yeah. I had an episode with some moms with kids with down syndrome and it was such yeah. an informative episode for me because i, I had all these ideas and you know, things in my head and and just talking to them, I learned so much. So from someone who's experienced a miscarriage and what are some of the things that you heard or that were said to you that like, you just want to say, do not say this to someone who has been through this. Like give us a short bullet (laughs) list that if someone's listening and they are inclined to say something stupid to someone, 
um, we can say like, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh my gosh. <laughs> and I know you've heard a ton of them, but let's hear some of them yeah. so we can like yeah, educate so, people. Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, really think through, I mean, before I'll tell you some, some ones that I heard a lot and that hurt the most, but like before you say something to someone in the face of loss and in the face of miscarriage, like process through, am I saying this to like make myself feel like I'm helping them get to where they need to be emotionally? Or am I saying this to validate their loss? Because the biggest piece of people's comments is that it's totally un- invalidating. It totally yeah. rips away your permission to grieve and be sad about something because right, they're like, right. So the things are, well, at least you got pregnant or at least you're able to get pregnant. Like, no, that's not, that just completely ripped away my permission to grieve that I lost that baby, you know, because wow. you're saying just focus on the part that at least you got pregnant. Another one is, well, this, these kind of go hand in hand of it, it was God's plan or in people who aren't even Christians say that it must be God's plan or, um, well, God need another angel or God protected you from an unhealthy baby. So these things are all so hurtful, even though they're coming from these well-meaning places, they're so hurtful. And also I would argue that they're not even true because first of all, like our society is so messed up with how we define healthy. And second of all, I don't believe that God, like if we're talking about the God that I believe that I know, I don't believe that he created this earth for loss. I don't believe that he created us to experience loss. I think that that's just part of how broken our world is. And so I don't think it was God's plan. And so like, don't say that. It just right. it comes down <laughs> to just like, and also like, don't even feel the need to ask someone how far along they were, because honestly that just immediately makes them feel like, well, it's not going to be good enough for this person. If it's especially under 20 weeks, you know, like it's not good enough to be seen as a loss. Like it's not important. They lost their baby, you know? Yeah. That's Um, such a good, and when you said that earlier, like that just made me cringe because I, that's such a great point you've made. And a lot of times working through the grief process, we are comparing our grief as, you know, as we sit feeling the grief, we're already saying, well, Sally lost her husband, so I shouldn't feel as bad as I do. But to have someone sort of validate that thought that's incorrect and, you know, that we know we're struggling with anyway. Yeah. That is an incredibly insensitive question. So going forward, all listeners will not ask that. See how good this is. Awesome. This is so good. I love it. And I also recognize that like we are friends and we don't know how to respond and we do mean well, but I really I think it's want also to curiosity. Say- it's this morbid, yeah. like cur- yeah. you can ask someone else if you're just like a nosy yeah. Parker, like, right. Yeah. Ask someone else. Yeah. Right. Totally. Totally. I mean, still, I catch myself trying to ask that question. And I'm like, it's none of my business. It doesn't matter. They lost their baby. Like it's really hard to slow our, our questions down or our comments. But I think the important part is processing is what I'm about to say to this person who's like in the darkest night. Like, is it stripping their permission to grieve and be sad about their loss? Or is it trying to show them where they should be emotionally? Because I think that's where we get stuck is, and we don't, we may not even realize we're doing that, like showing someone or telling someone we think they need to feel this way or see it this way. Like I did not for the longest time realize that I was doing that to people yeah. until I had done to me, <laughs> you know? Right. And I've been, 
I've been really lucky in my life. I haven't experienced much loss and knock yeah. on wood because I know it's coming. You know what I mean? It's like waiting for the yeah. shoe to drop because yeah. I've just got so much family that is living and healthy. And I lost my grandmother two years ago, but that's really been the only depth of loss I've experienced. And so I've really learned a lot talking from talking to people like yourself and, and others, because this is such a, an interesting and terrifying topic. <laughs> like it's yeah, just, yeah. it's hard. It's hard to navigate. And one thing I saw, and I'll have to find this article and post the link to it, but you may have seen it. It talks about like the circle of grief where mm-hmm. like someone is in the circle and when that person is grieving and they're in the circle, then there's ways to talk to them. I thought that was oh, an interesting yeah. article. I'm actually just saying this. So I remember to post the link and I'm going off on a yeah, tangent. So anyway, it. back to you. Um, Good. So you're, yeah, yeah. When you're in the circle of grief, what are the things you want people to say to you? What do you need or not what, what you want them to say? What do you want them to truly feel and what do you need to hear? Um, I think at least for me and people I've talked to, it's, um, even as trivial sounding as this is, it's just saying, and very sincerely, like you mean this, like, I think it starts with empathy. It starts with really slowing down because we're in such a fast paced life. It's like slowing down your brain to think, how must this feel for them? So you're wearing, you're trying to claim their pain and kind of wear it and kind of feel the weight of that. And then you're able to be like, oh, wow, that sucks. And then sincerely say, like, I am so sorry for your loss. Um, Is there, you know, can I bring you a meal? Can I drop off a meal on your front porch? Can I clean your bathroom? Um, And like, you absolutely have, like, I think it's important to say you have permission to grieve this or you have permission to like, be sad about this. I think literally saying you have permission is so monumental and it's awkward sometimes. And maybe we feel like, you know, it makes it more awkward, but it's so important and it it doesn't make it more awkward for the person who's stuck in that loss wondering if they, if they can. Um, so yeah, I think validating that validating that space and just giving them grace to, be broken over something. Yeah. When you and I met, I always think like I carry one of the, um, the awards for children close in age because mine are 14 months apart. And I think (laughs) when I met you, you were like, yeah, I have two kids and they're 10 months apart. Aren't they 10 months apart? Five months apart. Five months apart. That's right. Five months apart. And I was like, Oh, what? Wait, huh? (laughs) Yes, this is so true. you win. <laughs> Let's talk about that. I love it. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. I love it too. They're so fun. They're both under two currently. Um, but yeah, so we've always, I mean, since before we were married, we were planning, we like talked about adoption and how important that was to us. And so we had hoped to be able to carry to term a biological child, you know, and, and and whatnot, but we weren't sure. And so we, we just knew adoption would be part of our story. And, um, so (laughs) yeah, so we adopted while I was pregnant. So, um, so I got pregnant. So in 2015, we kind of started the adoption process. I got pregnant. We miscarried. We continued the adoption process. And then, um, 
it was like September. So like for adoption, you have to be home study licensed. So like the state comes in and does this big thing and it's a big deal. So we were home study approved in September. And then three days later, or actually it was before we were approved. But anyways, I was pregnant. We were home study approved. We got fired from a church. We moved. And then I was 20 weeks pregnant. So then in January, uh, we got a call about a little baby boy needing a home. Um, and so we flew and met him. And so we adopted our firstborn son when I was 20 weeks pregnant with our secondborn son. Wow. So, yeah. So that was really, it was like um, wild and I honestly loved it. So <laughs> it was like my favorite time of life. So Well, talking yeah. about like un- insensitive comments, you've had a lot regarding <laughs> your two children. Like you're like yeah. the, the Petri dish for like brewing interesting <laughs> and insensitive comments. No offense, Natalie. How is that one? <laughs> I, it's true. It's true. It's true. It's I remember reading some of your stuff on Facebook about people's comments like at the grocery store about your two children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the time. Anytime I go somewhere new, I mean, sometimes, because we go, you know, the same places a lot. So once people know you, they don't ask these questions. But when we go to places new, it's like, oh, especially when they're really young, because they're different sizes. I mean, still, I don't know if it's con- more confused. I don't know. I never okay, so know. so why are people commenting? Let's talk about your so, babies. Yeah, so one of them is uh, black and one of them is white. And so, and I am white and my husband is white. So I have literally been asked when my, uh, so my black son is biracial. So he, um, so I've literally been asked by people when my husband's not with me, is your husband black? Like they're trying to figure out if we have biracial twins. Have you ever seen those twins that are biological twins who are like one's white, one's brown? Right. So they're like trying to figure it. So anyways, and then people always ask, are they twins? Are they brothers? Are they cousins? Are they friends? What Are you the babysitter? (laughs) One woman tried to tell me that. It, she said it worked and I said what worked and she said adoption worked for you and I was like yes and then she's like you got pregnant and I was like whoa no that's not the goal of adoption is not to get pregnant oh, and she's no. like well, you I was like no it's not my biological son is not some reward for adopting and she was like well but you know that was your goal and I was like no it was just like I was Who just are like these people I don't know. We're in Costco. Costco's Costco, breeding yeah. ground for these. It's like the, the Atlanta's version of Walmart. Like, just go to Walmart oh, and you'll talk to weird people. <laughs> it's so like, and like half the time, I'm so shocked that I'm just like, "What is your thought process? And where do you get off?" Right. Uh, but anyway, why do they feel yeah. the need to? That's what I don't understand I don't. about humans: is the need to insert ourselves into other people's business. <laughs> Like, I know, and like, I know we do look unique, but I mean, come on. My children are going to be able to understand what you're saying in like just a few years. And it's not okay with me. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so I've had in the the checker, the checker at the grocery line was like, so was his real mom a drug addict? And I'm just like, this isn't even a conversation to be having. I just said that is none of your business. (laughs) Anyways. Also, we're both real moms, just so you know, just to clear the air. We're both right. real. I'm not right. pretending. Neither is she. So, right. here we are. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and they're so cute. Like, let's let's talk they're about so how cute, cute they are. So, how is, so, I mean, I had two kids under two at, at one point, 
Um, but they so were not good. two kids under two at five months apart. Like, what in right. the world is that like? It is like twins, though. I know. It's, well, it's called virtual twins. And, I mean, at this point, they're pretty much – they wear the same clothes. They – they babble back and forth and I'm like, are you doing twin talk? Cause I don't know what you're saying. And it's adorable. They like giggle at each other. They bite each other. They punch each other, you know, they're brothers. Um, but yeah, they don't like to share. So they're definitely twins in their development right now. I mean, one is a little bit not as caught up or whatever, but, um, yeah, they're, they're fun. They're also, also bedtime is rough. They're not sleeping through the night yet. Um, and so, and they don't wake each other up, you know, like they don't, people always ask that if they wake, because they share a room, they sleep side by side and they don't wake each other up, but they do both wake up through the night. So there's that tired. It is tough. You're living, you're living in like dreamland right now. It doesn't feel real. Exactly. So I, I don't know how I wrote this book. I wrote it when I had two, I started writing it when I had two under one and was definitely not sleeping. And so let you know, me tell you, though, that's when I wrote mine. I wrote my book when my kids were, I want to say, two and three. And yeah, here I sit, like, six years later and can't get my act together, even though I have all this perceived time in the world. Like, there's something about – I really think yeah. women, if you want to write a book, you should do it when you're in the dead phase of Because <laughs> you're I like, don't I can do doing hard things. Yes. <laughs> I don't remember doing it, but I have proof that I did. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So let's talk about the book a little bit. Um, It actually just launched, what, September? It was when we were together at that conference. And how is is it being – how is it having a book? Did you just – I know when my book first came to my doorstep and I held it in my hand, I was like, this is really a moment. Did you feel that way? Yes, I did. This is absolutely a moment to remember and document. <laughs> <laughs> but I won't remember it because I have two children under two. <laughs> exactly. So that's why we're taking pictures. <laughs> Instagram it. Yeah. Laura, I didn't cry. I was so like, is this real? And Lauren was like, why aren't you crying? Your book is here. And I was like, I don't know, because it's been done for a long time. I've already cried enough in the process of writing it. <laughs> I'm all cried out. And he was, it was kind of weird that I didn't cry everywhere, but it was definitely really like, ah. I remember when I got my copy of my book, my friend Ansley came over to my house because I was like, it's here. And she's like, I'll be right there. And she came over and we took it to the Mexican restaurant, the two of us, oh, and perfect. we held it by the most interesting man in the world cut out. <laughs> And we took pictures with it. And I was drinking a lot of the time. I don't drink anymore. Um, so that's my memory. Right, and yeah. I'm like, wow, that's really it's really unique. <laughs> yes, it is. It is unique. I don't even know what I did that day. <laughs> so, so who is your book good- for? Who needs to read this? Yeah. And um, what, what can they hope to, to sort of uncover by reading your book? Yeah, so in my dedication, I wrote, For the Brokenhearted, and you find yourself crashing into oceans of grace. This is my labor of love for you, and I totally believe that. So this book is for um, anyone, I mean, especially Christians, because there's not a lot of space in the Christian community, but also I've had lots of um, non-Christians or non-religious, quote-unquote, people read it and thank me. And so... 
to anyone who has experienced the depths of grief or sadness or wondered if grief is worthy of some, because a lot of times we think loss is only death. But in this story, we dive into loss in all sorts of areas of life, the loss of fertility, the loss of a baby, the loss of, you know, a church community after some trauma and the loss of what comes along with transracially adopting and, and birth trauma and all these different things, right? Like it's, it's just touching on losses infused in our life and it's giving people permission and grace to acknowledge that and permission to be not okay, to not be okay. Um, so it's not that you need to have experienced these specific losses. I've had plenty of emails who have not experienced these, but experienced other tragic losses. And they've you know, been like, wow, I've never been able to put words to what I was wrestling through, processing, or feeling, and, and you did that. And so I really want to give a voice to the unseen like aches in, in people's hearts and their souls and their lives. You know, there's so many unseen hurts and aches and I, I really want to give those a voice. I love it. I love it. So one more question for you. Um, this podcast is called the same 24 hours and it was born out of the idea that we have the same 24 hours in our day. Everyone has 24 hours, mm -hmm. but it's what we do with our own 24 hours that leads mm -hmm. to greater health, happiness, and success. So what is something that you do, Natalie Brenner, on a daily basis that you feel makes a big difference in your life and, and gets the most out of your 24 hours? I, I don't know that this is like a thing that I do, but I really try to get in my mind, that mindset of really grounding myself in the in the present moment and I try to keep that at the forefront of my head it's very hard for me it's very hard it's very and hard so with it's young kids <laughs> yeah and just with um trolls on the internet and people oh. who are hurt, lashing out at you <laughs> yeah. and, um, people who need you who are emailing you and asking questions of you and and pouring their heart out to you right so it's really easy for me to be distracted on my computer or in my brain of all the things I need to do and all the things I'm behind on and all the people I need to email and all the battles I need to fight and all these things right and so the thing that helps me really slow down is being grateful for this moment and the, and the time I have with my boys because I know they're growing so fast so I really think it's in the forefront just trying yeah. so hard to be present in the moment it's so hard but I really do that's something that I try to do every day that's such a great thing that's such, I struggle with that too um yeah. I'm always stuck in the future I'm not someone who dwells yeah. in the past but yeah. I'm stuck in the future and that mm -hmm. it is bad it's like when I yeah. get to x <laughs> I am working yeah. towards x which is good I mean it's good to have goals right. and stuff but I'm so future oriented so yeah I've I try and do that as well. I suck at it. I suck at it bad, but yeah. so hard. <laughs> I progress. And yeah. you know, when you said like the trolls on the internet, I don't, I don't know how long you've been internetting and, and amongst the trolls, but I, I had a heck of a year, not this year, but last year with them. And I came mm. to the point where I was able to realize it had nothing to do with me. Yes. And I'm trying Hard. It's hard, yeah. and and it's it, it you. Ha I think you have to go through the. Gr Maybe I have experienced grief. It is. Like I, a grief <laughs> I think I had to go through that because uh -huh. a lot it of is. it. Yeah, because a lot of it they're saying the things that are your deepest, darkest fears about yourself. 
Yep. Um, and, exactly. and that's where I really struggled. You know, people would say, oh, she's fat, she's slow, she's boring, she's self-absorbed. Um, and I'm like, oh, well, those are all the things that I hate and fear about myself. That's great. They're true. Um, but, you know, I think getting to the point where you realize that these people are just lashing out because they have nothing better to do, they're unhappy with themselves, um, right. and they also want to see you fail. And I think realizing that that is, has nothing to do with you, that you have a bigger purpose in life. I mean, this book that you've put out, like who knows 10 years from now, how many people you, you will have helped. And I, I try and always focus on the good emails you're getting, you know, cause you're yeah, getting those yeah. great ones and put those in a folder somewhere and save them for the time. Like every time a troll says something, go read your emails, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. And seriously. <laughs> It's hard. I'm going It'll through a better. rough patch right now It'll, with trolls. <laughs> it will get better. It will get better. Um, the but it'll get worse first. Because <laughs> you're know. doing so well. And the the more the better you do, the the worse it'll be. So <laughs> you can <Dear> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> just keep praying. <laughs> no, seriously. Well, Natalie, thank you so much for taking the time. And I will post up the link to your book and, and your, your blog and all the things you've got going awesome. on. Thank um, you. Yeah, we'll take care and we'll look forward to seeing what comes next for you. Thank you so much, Meredith.